Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are a married couple, couple, Jessica and Matt Frew. Is that how I say your last name? That That is correct. That is correct. So Jessica and Matt Frew, F-R-E-W, are married and in their 30s, and Jessica is divorced. She's divorced from her husband, Steve, who is gay, and that marriage ended, and Steve joins us on the podcast. So you will hear three voices, Jessica, female voice, and Steve Stoddard, who is Jessica's former husband, gay, out of their marriage, and Matt, Jessica's new husband. Um, Steve and Jessica have a 10-year-old daughter, Penny, that um, obviously now all three of these adults are helping to raise. Um, the thing that's unique about this podcast is that this family circle has stayed cl- together. Even though a marriage ended, doesn't mean family relationships need to end. And Steve and Jessica are friends, and they'll talk about that. And maybe even more unique is Matt and Steve are friends. Just so everybody understand, Matt is Jessica's new husband, and Steve is Jessica's former husband, and that relationship inherently could have a lot of strain. It may have at times, but this is a story of three people coming together, finding common ground, and um, keeping the family circle together. And I think that benefits everybody, particularly Penny, um, their daughter that's being raised. Um, when I called Jessica on the phone, they're calling in for, I'm calling them in Boise, Idaho. Jessica said, hey, just a minute, Steve and Matt are walking in together. And I just thought that's kind of cool that they are just <laughs> coming to the table together to do this podcast. And um, I wanted to let you, our listeners know that um, they host a podcast called Husband-in-Law, and we'll talk more about that podcast. They've done about 30 episodes um, Jessica is a just been released as the young women's president in her ward. Steve is not active in the church, out of the church, actively dating men. He is businesses managing hotels. And Matt is just been called a couple months ago as the elders quorum president in his ward in Idaho. And we'll just talk about all of that. So have I said anything that needs to be corrected? I don't think so. I think you nailed it. You totally nailed that and a totally confusing like <laughs> scenario, but you nailed it. <laughs> um, we pray, we said a prayer before we went live listeners that, you know, that um, there would just be things shared by this couple that will be helpful for you. Some of you are children of gay parents, marriages that have ended and wonder, that's not quite what you thought would happen. Some of you are coming, you know, ha- are one of the partners in a mixed orientation marriage that's ended, and that is painful. And some of you are marrying into um, uh, somebody that's been divorced that's been in a mixed orientation marriage like Matt has. And there's just lots of people around this space when it comes to a mixed orientation marriage not working that are affected. And if you're one of those people or a priesthood leader, a family member, aware of one of these marriages, perhaps there'll be information shared by Steve, Jessica, or Matt that are helpful for you. I think one of the doctrines of our church and society is strong families. And, and yeah, when a marriage ends, you know, that's not what anybody hoped for when a marriage started. But I still think we can be really thoughtful, responsible adults and do all we can to keep the family circled together. Um, is that just benefits everybody. So... 
um, Jessica, Steve, why don't you just talk about, um, just tell us a little bit your story about being gay. Did you know you were gay young? Did it come later when you sort of figured this out? Okay, so I, um, I should have known much sooner than I, I should have accepted much sooner than I did that I'm gay. I um, grew up in a, a very strong Mormon family and a strong Mormon community and it just it was never something that I considered as an option so even though I knew that about myself it's not something I ever really chose to accept I never told myself I'm gay I just knew that my course was going to be to stay in the church and to serve as best I could and to try and align myself with the gospel and try to minimize these feelings and try to stay on the straight and narrow marry a woman I served a mission Um, shortly after my mission is when Jessica and I met uh, we dated and fell in love and were married and uh, six months into our marriage she confronted me because she found pornography on my computer and said Steve are you gay and it was literally the first time I had been asked that question or even asked myself that question and over the next several weeks of course I had to come to terms with the fact that of course I'm gay and this is this is a real thing for me and it's something I've just been you know it was absolute denial at its best <laughs> for all those years to, to have myself convinced that I wasn't actually gay that this was just a, a minor little thing that I struggled with um, I had never acted on it at that point with the exception of pornography um, I'd never been with a man I didn't intend to Jessica and I had that conversation uh, and she said I'm willing to stay in this marriage if that's what you want and I absolutely did that was what I wanted we stayed married for another six and a half years give or take and um, by the end of our marriage it was very much an open topic of discussion the my sexual orientation and how that was affecting our marriage and my day-to-day life and my mental health and and anything that ties into that Um, and we were very involved in various forms of support for gay Mormons, um, much of which we go into great detail in in our podcast. And by the way, this is mostly what our podcast is, is all the details of this story. <laughs> we're 28, 29 episodes in, and we're just to the point that Jessica and I are divorced. So 29 episodes. You, did, you just got the summary of our first 29 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. What a great platform to do your story in a podcast, and so you can tell the totality of your story. And we decided to do our podcast because anyone who found out the details from any of the three of us of our scenario was just fascinated and so intrigued about how we have maintained such a positive relationship and how the three of us work so closely together and how we are so supportive to one another in very distinct lifestyles and belief systems and life goals. And it's, we just, it was clear that this was a story worth sharing and that there were so many people that could benefit from hearing this and hearing the successes we've had and the challenges we've had and the struggles. And um, it's been a very positive thing to be a part of. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you want me to continue my story but after, you know, after seven years, Jessica and I decided to divorce. It became clear to me that this was something that was not going to change and that was not a natural path for me. 
and that was not what was going to be best for either of us. Um, all that came to a head when I fell in love with a man. I, I had an affair, and uh, it made it clear that this was something I needed to simply accept and embrace and find a way to be happy with, as opposed to trying to force a life that really was not the best fit for either of us. It's something interesting that I learned um, when Steve shared with, with me that um, after he had his, his affair, that he thought he was just going to be done. That was his one, one time and done, and that was going to change him. But it was clear to him after he had that affair with a man, a man that he continued, that, that desire to be with a man continued, and he thought that that was going to go away. I, there was just a part of me that really hoped that, I mean, I didn't go in, I didn't like intentionally say, I'm going to go have an affair to... Right to get this behind me, get it out of my system. But, but I mean, it's something I found myself doing almost against my own will. I just didn't have the willpower to stop myself from going there. But once I did, like that next morning waking up, I expected and hoped I would feel regret and remorse and just feel dirty and be able to see that this is not something I want. This is not natural for me. This is not anything I ever want to do again. I'm going to move past this. But it was the ab absolute opposite. It was, I just felt so incredibly comfortable in my own skin, having finally embraced this side of myself that I had never before let come to the surface. And at the time, it was a very devastating realization that now what? What do I do now? This feels so right and so natural, and I feel so comfortable with myself. How do I possibly reconcile those feelings with the life that I have created for myself in my marriage with Jessica and in the church? How was your emotional health, Steve? Some report in this at this you know at times really difficult emotional health and suicide feelings, suicide attempts. Do you want to share any of that with our listeners? I do because I think it's incredibly important to talk about mental health, and I went through a very rough rough time after that. My entire belief system kind of imploded there because something that I was certain was unnatural and wrong suddenly felt so natural and so right and I just didn't know how to reconcile all that with the life I had lived and the, the beliefs I had followed strictly for 29 years. So, um, and I also really I didn't want to be gay. I didn't want, you know, I wanted to just be content and happy and fulfilled in what I had. So I hated, for the longest time, I hated myself for not being able to be fulfilled and content in the church and in my marriage with Jessica. Like, I wanted that to be enough and I wanted that to be what I really desired. And obviously, you can't change what you want, you can't change what you really feel, you can't change what is or isn't natural for you. So it was incredibly difficult to accept that, you know, I almost saw it as a, I don't, I don't get to have that life. I don't get to keep this marriage. I don't get to, you know, I, I don't get to follow this, this life that I have worked so hard to build for myself. I don't get to keep it. And that was incredibly difficult. I, I went through a, a suicidal period, actually for quite some time. It was probably a year or two 
that that was a pretty constant thought on and off at least. Very much, and much of that had to do with losing my future with Jessica. I was absolutely devastated. You know, even when we divorced, I never loved her any less than I had. You know, it, it was devastating to walk away from my future with her. And, uh, and it was hard to see her move on. It was really hard to see her get married and, and move on. Um, but uh, were, there any, were there any suicidal thoughts after Jessica and I got married? No, I don't think so at that point. It was from the time we split Jessica until probably a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Although I don't know how much time from, how long was it from the time we split until you two were married? I think it was, you were, as I remember it, you were suicidal for about a year and a half. Like yeah. I, that's where I was very concerned, where I had my phone on all the time and made sure to reach out and connect with you to make sure you were okay during that time. Mostly for the year after our, the, that first year after we split, which was the time that we were living apart. You were in Boise, I was in Oklahoma City. Yeah. In a relationship with a man, the, the, the man that I'd had the affair with, the first and, first and only man I'd been with. I fell in love with him and we started a relationship. It didn't last long because I couldn't give up on Jessica and on the church and on what we had worked for. And I, I couldn't tell myself that I had done, I, there was still a part of me that wondered, had I really done everything I possibly could to make this work, to continue this path that I was on. And Jessica and I, we haven't gotten this far on our podcast, so anyone who's listening to this that's a listener of our podcast is now getting a, ahead of the story, but <laughs> Jessica and I dated again. I broke up with my boyfriend in Oklahoma after about, I think it had only been four or five months. And I moved back to Boise, which is where Jessica was living with our daughter. And we dated again for six months. We were divorced by then, but uh, Jessica said she was still open to trying to repair things if that's something I saw as an option. And so we, we tried for six months to do that. It, it wasn't... It, it, it got us to the point where we could say we have legitimately tried everything to make this work and this is just not what's going to, this is not what our future is. And from that point on, that, that's when I moved forward and on my side of things said, okay, I'm ready to embrace this and figure out how to live life as a gay man and how to be, how to be happy with that and how to date and how to find a partner and, and uh, I'm in a great place in life now and have been for, for years now. Um, it's definitely been a journey for me um, learning what I really want out of life and who I want to spend it with and uh, but here we are today <laughs> here we are today Jessica thank you Steve Stoddard um, for sharing um, just being vulnerable to share um, some of your story this is obviously not the story you hoped would happen as you left on your mission in Bolivia and served. And, you know, I just, so thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for being alive. I, I would assume there's other listeners, maybe in mixed orientation marriages or, or not, who are just, or maybe straight people too, that get suicidal and need to hear stories of people that have been able to work through that. Um, everybody is better off as I think, you know, with you here, 
Um, your daughter's better off. Your ex-wife's better off. Um, the people that are around you, the way you serve with your career, everybody's better off with Steve Stoddard here versus not here. So that's true for all of you listeners that may be thinking um, it, people, the world would be better off if I just weren't here. Jessica, so tell us where you grew up and you just, you know, you get married to Steve and just tell us your part of the story. So I grew up mostly in Idaho. Um, I've also lived in Pennsylvania and Ohio, um, but grew up in a strong LDS family. And Steve and I got married when I was 20, I believe, in the Salt Lake City Temple. Um, And yeah, and like Steve said, about six months in, I realized that he was probably gay. It took him a little while longer to come to terms with that, but just really changed my thought process of how I viewed what the rest of my life could be or what I wanted from it. Really from that moment on, just thinking, okay, I got to accept all of the options here of what could happen in my marriage and what my life could look like and be open to that. People, I don't know, did you open up to family, priesthood leaders that you're now, you know, in a marriage with somebody's gay? And if so, what was some of the best advice you got from anybody you opened up to? I didn't open up to anybody for quite a while just because Steve was not comfortable with anybody knowing. So I really wanted to have Steve Steve's trust. And I knew that to do that, I um, needed to make sure to build that up, that he knew I wasn't going to tell anybody that he didn't want to be told. And he also did that for me in that if I really felt like I need somebody to talk to, Either he was willing to listen to all of the feelings and emotions I was feeling or I need to go find somebody to talk to and and be okay with that. But really, until we were pretty far into our marriage and we were going to support groups, that's the first time that I really talked to somebody about it. And it was just the ladies in my support group. Um, Before that, I really like my parents didn't know. Steve's parents didn't know. Nobody in our family knew friends didn't know. No, yeah, literally nobody knew. Steve talked to a lot of our uh to bishops church and leaders, yeah, yeah, church leaders and things, but I never really got involved in that process. I mostly let that be his thing because it it wasn't my thing. It was it was Steve's journey um through that, not mine. And Jessica was incredible at letting me open up to her at my pace. And it it took a very long time. It was probably five years into our marriage that I finally was comfortable telling her all the details of how I really felt and what I was really struggling with. I mean, I knew a lot of it, but like for him to really tell me to be very open about all of the things, (laughs) it took probably five, six years into our marriage. And to to know that I could tell her anything and it wouldn't change how she felt about me. It wouldn't make her love me any less. It wouldn't make her leave me. And it, you know, getting to that point was took a very long time for me to be able to share with her those things and not worry about fallout from it, not worry about it affecting how she felt about herself in a devastating way, not worrying about and not feeling absolute shame 
and opening up to her. Well, that's a beautiful love story. I I think that's what marriages should be. And I recognize your marriage um, ended, but I love, um, and maybe that's why you're in a good place now is because you had those, you've developed that trust and communication and vulnerability during your marriage. Um, And to me, that's just a beautiful love story. We, you know, so many people could look at this and say this is a failed marriage, but that's not how Jessica and I have ever labeled this. It's, it was absolutely a critical time in my life, and it was Jessica was exactly what I needed for that chapter, and helped me so much in my personal growth and self acceptance, and and uh, it, it, we were great together for the time that we were together. And when we when we split ways, we didn't see it as the end of our time together and our support for one another and we just very much had to redesign the relationship (laughs) (laughs) yep um how do you handle the i this isn't fair question both of you would could say that to god or just in a quiet moment this isn't fair jessica had a better attitude about it than i did (laughs) (laughs) so it's been interesting i feel like growing up One of the things I really took to heart, there are several things that I really focused in on, I feel like my first year of seminary in ninth grade. And one of those was the idea of asking why me in my life. And I, that never felt right to me to think, oh, why is this happening to me? Why, why is this going on? And uh, I have always instead tried to focus on what can I get out of this? What can I learn? How can I see this differently? And how can I use this for good? Um, And so I think that idea has really helped me to be able to support and love Steve through all of this and then to be able to see my life in a different way than, than I think most people would have going through these different situations. It helped me see, okay, I can take this and I can do this with this. Um, I can choose to love Steve and help him through this process. Heavenly Father put me in this position for a reason. And I honestly believe a lot of that was because Steve and I needed to figure out who we really were. Steve needed to learn to love and accept himself for who he was and who God created him to be. And I needed to... I feel like see the strength in me and understand that I was strong and that I could take a situation and make the most out of it to see the best and to understand how I can learn and grow and then help others through that. What a great answer. I've heard one of my other guests give that answer in a different context and just instead of why me, what now? That takes a lot of spiritual maturity to do that. That's wonderful. Um, Because, yeah, here you've got, you know, you're... A whole dream is happening, temple marriage, and then it sort of starts to unravel. Um, And there may be some logical um, sort of betrayal trauma um, with the discovery of pornography and maybe later with that relationship that would be logical, emotional things you need to work through. Um, But I love the way you've been able to work through that and and sort of um, move forward in a very thoughtful way. Steve, do you ask the question, why me? I did. I uh, I really struggled for a long time to kind of move past, you know, I, it took me a while to get Jessica's attitude of, <laughs> of not feeling like a victim because there was a time, you know, for a long time that I asked those questions of why, why do I feel this? Why me? Why do I have to be gay? Why can't I just 
why is what I had not enough for me to be fulfilled? And uh, Jessica was incredibly inspirational. The way she handled our separation and our entire marriage leading up to it, the way she handled a scenario that was brought so many challenges into her life, none of which she brought upon herself. You know, they were these were things having to her things that I brought to the to the marriage. And having her handle them so well was incredibly inspiring to me, even after we split, of me wanting to have to adopt her attitude of making the most of the scenario and not letting it stop her from moving forward and having a good attitude and having a good relationship with me. And, but it was a challenge to get there. Jessica, <clears throat> when the marriage ended, was how did you handle the shame if you felt merit? Because, you know, divorce is a hard thing in our culture. And to be, I don't know if it made it harder or easier to be, so it was explainable easier and that decreased the shame. Or I don't know if you even tried to measure the that and just recognize my marriage is ending and just any, and that's partly you speaking to other people whose marriage you're ending or people that are trying to help them. Just share with it any thoughts there. I don't know that I, I mean, I could recognize where the shame could come in. I don't know that I let it because it just wasn't, it's not really part of my personality, I guess. And I mean, I, I could see that. And if people wanted to, you know, make me feel less than I was because I got divorced and that was their issue and not mine. This was my life. These were the decisions I made. Um, and I wasn't going to be shameful of that. I wasn't going to let that interfere. Yes, my marriage had ended, but I, like Steve said, I did not see that as a failure uh, because we were able to maintain this relationship and I felt very proud of us for being able to maintain the relationship that we had and to be there to support one another. And um, one of the main things, like when Steve told me, you know, when we really came to terms with the fact we were getting divorced, I just remember thinking, I do not want to have a divorce where we can't be in the same room as each other, where my daughter feels weird at her birthday or her graduation or her wedding day because both her parents are there. Instead, I want it to be about her, that she can feel joy and happiness in those moments. And so I feel like from the very beginning, that was a conscious choice I made to see the positive. And if people had issues with that, that was their issue. That was not for me to feel shameful about. Um, So I think that was really my way of dealing with that, that... Uh, if people think anything about me, that's not my problem. Uh, that is theirs. And I continue forward to do the things I do because I feel those are best for me, best for my family. And um, that's that's all I can do. And if somebody has a problem with that, then I can't change that, that they have a problem with that. So I don't know if that makes sense. But... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been a divorce counselor, so I don't have context to know how unique the story is, but there's some elements that strike me as unique. And most divorces I know there's, and logically there's pain, and I'm sure both of you have felt pain, and that turns into anger, which is a normal secondary emotion, and that often needs something to be directed at. and And it's interesting that, you know, you could have certainly made Steve the villain. And um Yeah. 
And if people certainly would have bought that narrative because he's gay, mm-hmm. he's, you know, I can't re- quite remember when the affair happened, if it was before you divorced or after. Um, so all the, you know, to he would be a logical villain. Um, and yeah. in some ways I honor that because there's so much pain there. But I recognize what you've done and said the big picture here is I'm thinking of your daughter and I'm thinking of and you're recognizing the good that you've always known in your now former husband. And and I, I, it's a really unique story of just you being able to see the big picture and work through pain to be able to continue to see the big picture and see sort of the long view and long goals here that would be the best for everybody. So I don't know if you yeah. went to therapy to did that or just sort of figured that out. That's that's something I figured out. And I, I mean, people ask me a lot, well, how did you figure this out? How have you done this? How have you created this? And part of it is I just think this is how God created me was this way. And this is how I came and... I've made very conscious choices in my life to be the way I am, to see things from other points of view, to try to not look at them just, you know, from the hurt and anger I feel, but let's let's try and see what other people are feeling in this situation. And I feel like that makes it so much easier to show up for people in a better way. And I think that's really what got me through our divorce without a lot of pain and anger. I mean, it it hurt and I was very sad. I lost... I thought I was losing my best friend and um, this marriage that I'd worked so hard for. And so there was that sorrow and that mourning, but there wasn't a lot of anger. Um, I remember one night getting really mad (laughs) and just realizing this wasn't going to serve anybody, but really seeing that I knew Steve was hurting and he was in pain and I did not want to add to that pain because I knew he was not in a good place. So I knew that if I could set that aside and really show up for him and help him to know that he was still loved and that I was going to let go of this pain and anger and forgive that it really served both of us in the long run and our daughter especially. And you're texting, Steve, because you know you might be suicidal and you care about this guy that's some levels hurt your heart or broken your heart or shattered your dreams. I don't think you use those words, but our society might. And then you're not buying into those words completely, although there's some reality of that, but you're recognizing him being probably suicidal and reckon and wanting to make sure he stays alive. Along, along those lines, Richard, there was a time where I was convinced that Penny would be better off without me, that Penny would be better off without a dad than with a gay dad. And Anyway, incredibly difficult time that Jessica helped me through and was able to see what I needed in that scenario instead of simply cutting me off the way she could have done after our divorce. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that out loud, Steve, because I believe Satan's real and wants to destroy us, but I think that's a lie of Satan, that to, to create a feeling in us that any of us are better off, somebody else is better off with... Um, us, somebody is compi- complaining, com- thinking about suicide, and I like the Fallon model that we've talked about on this podcast. And the three kind of circles of someone who's suicidal: one is a feeling of not belonging, and one is um, a feeling that I am messing up my eternal family. 
and they're actually yeah. and they're actually better off without me because I'm a liability to the to their our family or our eternal family in an LDS context and and then the third one is kind of a high degree for impulsive risky behavior uh what would you this is we do a lot of podcasts as you may know with couples in mixed orientation mm-hmm. marriages and and that are successful marriages and I've recognized those are beautiful love stories um and that obviously hasn't been your path what would you say to those couples that to this is a leading question. What would you say to those couples to give them hope that those marriages can continue to work out, even those yours didn't? So I, like when mine and Steve's marriage ended, I still, I mean, he is still part of my family. We have a kid together. And so I think if you can view it from that way as this person is a part of my family and focus in on the things that you love and appreciate and respect about each other, then um, you can start to understand that this isn't the end. This is a new beginning and there is more for you. You follow the path that you feel driven to follow and trust that path. You trust yourself. You trust um, if you believe in God, Heavenly Father. But I really believe you trust those instincts that are given to you. And I remember just thinking, okay, it didn't work out with Steve, but... That doesn't mean we don't still have a relationship. That doesn't mean I have lost my friend. That doesn't mean I have lost this person in my life. I can keep him. Um, But now I get to add somebody else into my life. And I know it was really important to me that I found somebody who could have a relationship with Steve and me and like be accepting and understanding of that relationship. Like that was very important to me. (laughs) Matt and Steve just gave each other fist bumps. (laughs) (laughs) but um that was huge for me to be able to realize that I can still have a relationship with my ex-husband even after getting married again um and recognizing that that was something I wanted and that it would be amazing if we could make that work I love that and I love that you're maybe not defining a marriage ending by the legal requirement that, it, you know, we look at marriages ending and then so the relationship's over. I love the way you're kind of seeing past that and keeping the relationship going. And I guess my part of my thought there and is just I don't want people to listen to this podcast in mixed orientation marriages and feel like um, your mixed orientation marriage is going to end or even people going into mixed orientation marriages talking about before you're married about being in a mixed orientation marriage um, that that necessarily is going to end in failure I just think every story is unique and every story is valid and um, this isn't a podcast sort of trying to communicate to anybody that um, mixed orientation marriages don't work or that if you're in one I don't want you to leave if you're in a mixed orientation marriage I don't want you to leave this podcast having less hope I'm actually hoping you have more hope because you're hearing some of the things that Jessica, Steve, and Matt are sharing about how to keep a relationship together, um, keep the communication open. If you both have a goal to keep your marriage together, that this podcast actually helps you do that. Anything else either of you want to add to those to before we move on? I would just love to add my advice there that, you know, looking at what did work for Jessica and I for as long as it did, you've got to genuinely care about what's best for the other person and 
communicate that openly. Um, I don't think Jessica and I could have gotten anywhere near as far into our marriage as we did if, if we weren't both genuinely trying to take the best care of the other person and provide them with what they needed. I think Jessica was much better at that than I was, but, but uh, that can help. Yeah, and I think, I think you're exactly right, that every situation is different. Everyone is unique. And I'm a firm believer that mixed orientation marriages can work and be successful. I mean, Steve and I were married for seven years, and we had an amazing marriage. And that doesn't diminish from the marriage that I have now, but it's just the reality that we had a good marriage. And part of that is because we went through all these things together, and we grew closer together because we were able to talk about the hardest things in our marriage and the things that scared us the most. So I think that you can, in any situation, make the marriage and relationship work. And I love that you're wanting to make people see that and and encourage them to see that hope that is out there. Jessica, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give to a mixed orientation marriage to stay together? Communicate. You have got to talk and understand and just... And listen to the other person. Try to set aside your feelings of hurt and pain as they're talking to see where they're coming from and instead see that as a beautiful way that they are reaching out and opening up to you, that they trust you enough to share these things with you. I think that's so huge that if you can see that, that this person loves me so much and trusts me so much that they are sharing these parts of themselves that they are probably very scared to put out there. That's my advice. I think someone needs to, I think someone needs to know that if they're going to be in a mixed orientation marriage that I mean marriage is hard anyway. Relationships are hard. And this is this is going to add an, a huge amount of additional challenge and additional on a personal level and as a couple. Um, that's But it can be amazing. I love these thoughtful comments and I think it's easy f- it just shows the maturity of, of you because I think it's sometimes easy to take our story and, and want to validate it by bringing everybody else into our story and saying you should do the same thing. And and so I love that you have comments that you want other marriages to succeed. And even though your mixed orientation marriage didn't, that you want others to succeed. And I, I think that's a real, real mature space to be in. Um, Matt, we haven't heard much from you, but tell us how you... Tell us how you got to meet Jessica and Steve. Did you know one or the other first? And just kind of tell us your journey and and then falling in love with Jessica. Yeah, so um, I I met Steve first. Um, we were all in the same ward together. Um, I had just, I'd been divorced for about two years and living as a single dad to my two children. And I was going to this ward for about two years before I met Steve and Jessica. Um, and I, I was kind of flying under the radar. I taught um, the youth Sunday school um, class. And so right after sacrament meeting would end, I would just jump up real quick, take my kids to primary and uh, go teach my class and then get out of there as, as quickly as possible. Um, I would, and, and, um, I remember the first time I met Steve was in Elder's Quorum, and I borrowed a pen from him uh, 
to, to write something out in Elder's Quorum. And um, I, don't, I don't remember if it was that Elder's Quorum meeting, but we both concluded that we both like mountain biking. And there was a, a group of guys in that, in that particular ward that would go mountain biking together. And Steve and I were part of that group. And we'd go mountain biking together every other week or so and, and got to know each other that way. And then um, at that time, Steve and I were both, this is when Steve and Jessica were dating each other again after they were divorced. And I remember on one of our, our mountain bike rides, Steve had mentioned that he's dating a Jessica. Well, at this time I was also dating a Jessica. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how <laughs> that conversation came about. Um, and then it was actually after one of these mountain bike rides that Jessica saw me getting ready to head out on a mountain bike ride. She was checking him out. <laughs> um and wanted me to come stop by her apartment after the mountain bike ride. And so I did. And it was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was very confused by this situation. And I don't think you knew at that point that she and I had recently broken up. No, ended. not at all. <laughs> yeah, and I went after Matt at that point. I knew he was the type of guy I wanted. <laughs> Yeah, and she's like, Steve, who's that Matt guy that you're biking with? <laughs> <laughs> so after that mountain bike ride, um, and going to, I, I, I complied and I went to go visit Jessica at her at her apartment, and we spent a couple hours talking, and she kind of dumped everything, the whole situation, on me at that time, and it just kind of blew my mind. So yeah, but that's how I I met. Steve and Jessica. At some point in there, I got a text from you, Matt. I don't know if it was this meeting or afterwards, but you said, hey, Jessica just asked me out or asked me to come to over come or over. something. It was I asked him out a couple times. Yeah. And this was, I think, fairly shortly after Jessica, you and I had ended things. And you kind of were like asking, like, hey, I know she was your wife slash girlfriend up until very recently, like kind of asking permission. like, Yeah. Are you good with this? Like, I don't want to... Yeah. I, I didn't want to step on anybody's toes. I didn't want to step on Steve's toes. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I knew that you and Jessica had been dating again. I didn't know what the details of that were, but... Yeah, and I just responded that, you know, you certainly don't... She and I are... I, I said, yeah, she and I are, have ended things. We're going our separate ways. We're going to continue to co-parent, but she's dating and I'm dating. And go for Both it. Both of us men. Yeah. <laughs> She's dating men. I'm dating men. <laughs> but basically said, yeah, like, you don't you don't need my permission now that we're broken up <laughs> by any means. But, you know, by all means, you have my blessing, right. <laughs> so right. to speak. Matt, when did you know Steve was gay? So it was in that, um, <coughs> it, was, it was only when Jessica had told me after that mountain biking ride um, where I did go over to her apartment and she did spill everything of what their situation, what their family dynamics were. And that's when I learned um, that Steve was gay. So we hadn't talked about that no. mountain biking? I didn't think we nope. had. I didn't recall. And how did that change your relationship, if it did at all, with Steve? I didn't change it at all. I, I mean, it... Yeah, I don't remember it changing at all. I, th I feel like we kind of... 
I'm not sure that mountain biking group kept going anyway because shortly after that, a couple of us moved or yeah. changed or something. But I think I kind of felt a need to like step back a little bit and like let you two kind of explore things, didn't I? Is that yeah, that's accurate? Pr- <laughs> that's that sounds accurate. about accurate. I didn't want to like be in the picture and whatever or like interfere. Yeah. And I also, there was probably some part of me that didn't really want to see it firsthand happening because it was, <laughs> it was all very fresh. Yeah. But. So, so to answer your question, I, I don't remember it or having a feeling of, oh, I got to treat Steve differently now because now I know that he's gay. Yeah, and I don't remember ever receiving any kind of vibe like that from you either. Yeah. It didn't need to change things or stop things or end things. Yeah, I like that, um, Matt. I probably couldn't have done that at your age. It's taken me a while to sort of just be comfortable. And it's easy now for me to be comfortable around LGBTQ people. And and I love that's one of the things I loved about this story is you got there at a much younger age. And um, people that are 20 years younger than you are getting there right now in the high school level or the early college level. Any, any thoughts on why? I mean, I... I'm sensing you don't have a lot of homophobia. Just why? Um, I I get this question actually quite often um, from from various friends or acquaintances who ask me that question of, uh, and no, I don't have any quote unquote homophobia, um, and I think it's it stems from being able to have confidence in who I am. Um, I know that I'm a child of God. I also know that Steve is a child of God. And having that confidence first and foremost helps me know that I'm confident with who I am. And, um, and, and st- stepping it a little further into um, the, um, into like a, a man state, having an earthly man state of, Look, I I know who I am, and I know who I am attracted to, and it it is fully women, and um, just having the confidence of knowing what I want has has totally helped me not have this quote unquote homophobia. Matt, I think it's really interesting too that you didn't correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't have a ton of exposure to LGBT people prior. No, to that. not at all. In fact. So much of our conversations on our podcast over the last 28 weeks have been, you know, much of that is new, new exposure to it you. Is, yes, so it's particularly surprising that you were so open-minded with so little prior exposure to LGBT yeah. people. It's impressive. But, it, but again, it's, it's to that having confidence of, of who I really am and knowing that, knowing that I'm also starting to date this woman who just shared with me her experiences with her ex-husband and seeing how well they were communicating also gave me a peace of mind of, okay, I'm, I'm in an okay situation right now. Steve, did you resent Matt for being able to be the husband that you, I don't want to, I don't want to mm-hmm. add to your burden here, the husband that you couldn't become or weren't able to be? I definitely had thoughts of, of that. Um, it was hard to see Jessica move on, and it was hard to, you know, again, 
have to accept that no, I was I did not live up to that goal of, that I had set for myself of being her husband and the things that tie to that. But it it didn't lead to resentment towards Matt. It was very much a personal insecurity. It it didn't it it I didn't direct that at Matt, and I didn't want you know I absolutely wanted Jessica to move on. I wanted her to find someone that would be the right fit for her, and for her to be able to get past this. And I you know I really wanted this to not ruin her life, to not be a huge hindrance to her. And I learned real quick that there's no way she would have let this ruin her life, that <laughs> she, she would not have given me that power <laughs> to be able to ruin her life, nor anyone. And that's a, a separate separate discussion there. But, but no, I, I didn't resent Matt for it. And you and I had a conversation at one point, Matt, where by text or in person, I don't remember, but you said shortly before the wedding, Steve, I just want you to know that in my mind, I'm not, you, I'm absolutely not attempting to replace you as Penny's dad or as Jessica's prior husband. Like, right. I honor what you guys have. I honor what you had. I honor who you are to her and who you were to her. Me coming into the picture doesn't change any of that. Right. I'm one additional, I'm an additional person. I am not a replacement of any sort. Right. It's adding to, it's, it's adding to and making this family unit a relationship work. And it, it's not, I'm here to replace and I'm now in line in front of, it's more of we're in a circle together. And I think that was particularly helpful in my thoughts with Penny of knowing this is not going to be a power struggle of who's parenting Penny, who's the dad. It's you're the you dad, know. Steve. Yeah, and you <laughs> flat out said that, and thank, thank goodness you did, because I yeah. knew I was the dad. And I've it was interesting, because I was having a conversation with my own dad on, I think it was Tuesday of this week. And by the way, my, my dad is probably our number one fan of our <laughs> husband-in-law podcast. And he brought up to me, because he, he asks me in-depth questions of, of Steve and, and his relationship with us. And he brought up the fact that he, he cannot believe that Steve was suicidal and he couldn't imagine Penny's life without S Steve, her dad, in her life. Right. And he is so glad that you are Penny's dad and that we can all make that work. And yeah. And, and he, he said, I, I give you kudos, Matt, for allowing Steve to be Penny's dad because that's who he is. I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't replace that. Well, I have a few tears in my eyes, to be honest, just listening to this. It's, um, it's really an unusual story, but everything here is consistent with everything I know about what Christ would want and what our heavenly parents would want for their children. And, and Richard, that's what... Yeah, the that's what my that's what my testimony of Christ I truly believe has helped me um, and, and and hopefully Steve you you can accept this for what it is even though you know you're not a member of, of the church anymore but I know that my testimony in Christ has helped me because I ask myself th that question constantly of what would Christ do in this situation like that is a question that is um, on my mind constantly of what would Christ do in this situation? And, and I've, 
I will try to consistently model what he would do in any given situation. So, yeah. And I can absolutely accept that and support that, Matt. I, I, we don't we don't have to share the same beliefs in order to, right, to get to, res- to respect what it is that motivates each of us to do what we do. And the, the further along I get in my journey, the more I am realizing that. The, the more that that's kind of what I the message I want to put out there to the people in my life is that I don't I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life. I want people to. I just think that whatever path you're on in life, it should be intentional. You should be there because that's where you choose to be, not because that's where you found yourself, because it's where you're comfortable, because it's where you've always been, because it's how you were raised. That is not a reason to be on a path. And if that is your reason on to, on your path currently, I think you should. Take a close look and say, is this really where I want to be? Is this where I choose to be for myself? Um, yeah. Whatever path we're on, it should be our choice. Whatever it is we believe, it should be because our heart tells us that that's what's right for us. Not because it's what we were taught or because it's what someone told us, but because it's what we really feel is right for us. So I absolutely support you guys in, in, in your belief system and in what it is that motivates you to be who you are. And just like, you know, and this is a conversation I've had with Penny quite regularly. Is, uh, along these topics too, is you know, we don't have to believe the same things. We just have to, we just have to do what it is that our heart tells us is right for us personally, yeah. and no one else can tell you what that thing is. I love um, the the principle of communication. I think that was all of you have taught that at times in this podcast, and how to make a marriage work, a mixed orientation marriage work. And I know th- those of you that are listening out there that that's your hope, that that's what you want to have happen. I would hope that this would give you more hope that that actually could happen. But I think it's going to come to communication uh, is going to be key. And I think most of the people I meet that are single and gay and want a mixed orientation marriage want to talk about that before they're married and going into that marriage um, knowing that. And I would just want to give you hope that if that's, that's a real, if that's your hope and your feeling and that's your personal revelation you're receiving, don't, you know, keep that hope. Those marriages really can and do work. And um, and I love their advice, your advice to others on that. I, Penny, what, I mean, Jessica, sorry, I'm calling new your daughters now. Now, Jessica, what's it like for you to have your former husband and your current husband be friends and like texting each other? And even right before the wedding, they're <laughs> texting each other. This is like, this doesn't really happen. Very often. You know what's funny is I'd never heard about either of those texts that they just mentioned really? until this moment. <laughs> but I do know that they communicate with each other and that if, you know, like I'm out of the picture for some reason, Steve and Matt can communicate and work things out and that that's that that works. I also know that, I mean, like they take our daughters out on double dates together. Double daddy daughter dates. Yeah, double daddy daughter <laughs> dates and things like that. And it's honestly overwhelming to me almost every day of complete gratitude that they can do this. And that I have these two men in my life that care about me and my daughter enough to make this work, that they are confident and secure enough in who they are to open themselves up to this type of relationship. And it really, like literally every day at some point, I am overwhelmed by the gratitude and love that I feel for these men. And it's, um, 
interesting because I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, you must still have feelings for Steve or whatever. And I don't. I I mean, I do, but they're very different. And I think that's um, something I try to explain to people is like, Steve feels more like a brother to me now. And I love him, but it is not in the same way that I love and adore Matt. And there are boundaries that we've set up and things that, you know, we've had to shift and that we figured out along the way to make this all work. But um, there are so many different ways to love people. And that is what this has really opened my eyes up to realize is that I can love these two men in totally different ways and they can love me in totally different ways and we can still make this work. And um, and part of that is because Jessica has has developed trust well, she, she's developed that trust, that, that bridge of trust. Like, I know that I can leave my home and take my kids to wherever they need to be for soccer practice or basketball or whatever. And if Steve and Penny and Jessica are in my home left alone, I know that I can trust Jessica that there is no, you know, funny business going on because, because the communication is all there. So there's always been a bridge of trust that... Um, has never been broken. Yeah, and that and that's one of the way. That's one of the reasons why this works as well is that there's so much trust. Yeah, there's. I I very much oh. took that for granted. Yeah. Sorry, I very much took that for granted for the longest time. How much, how how amazing it is and unique it is that Matt is so chill about stuff like that. Um, I just kind of took it for granted the fact that most husbands would not be cool with me <laughs> dropping by my ex-wife's house and like chatting about things while he's not home. That's just not something most husbands would be cool with, but hasn't bothered Matt. And I think it's it also... It doesn't bother me. I think it's also worth noting that our develop, our Matt, you, and, and my relationship has, you know, there were some, some points along the way where one of us rubbed the other one the wrong way and yeah. just kind of like, you know, we kind of had to set up some boundaries and I was a little bit oblivious. <laughs> early on of like things that clearly needed to be a boundary of me respecting, you know, the fact that she's got a new husband and <laughs> it's just, you know, we kind of had to figure out our own relationship too. Yep. And it sounds like communication is part of that. Um, yeah. It'd be fascinating to have um, Penny on the podcast, your 10 year old daughter in 10 years from now or five years from now or 20 years from now, I would guess that this experience she would talk about how this has made her a better person and a better mother and a better partner and a better um, person in society, a better member of our church. I recognize before we went live, Steve's not trying to pull, even though Steve's out of the church, he's not trying to pull Penny his way. It's part of back to your maturity, Steve, is this is my life, um, but I'm not trying to pull everybody my way as a way to sort of validate my life. Um, I recognize that the church... You know, Penny, right, you know, your daughter is enjoying the church and, you know, your former wife is an active member of the church and her new husband. But any thoughts, if, if have you already seen things in your daughter's life, um, Steve and Jessica, that you sense that this whole experience, while unique, is actually giving her additional um, skills and gifts and contributions? I think Penny is getting the coolest freaking upbringing. <laughs> I think she is... The thing I love about it, well, for one, she's going to be such an incredibly well-rounded person because she's been exposed to so many different walks of life. And I love 
that, unlike so many people who grew up in the Mormon church, they're taught this one path, that this is the way to happiness, that this is the only way to live if you really want to be happy. Penny has seen so many different paths that have led people to a fulfilling, edifying, happy life through, um, through both sides of, you know, through her mom's exposure to things and through mine. And um, I just, I have no doubts that whatever Penny ends up being in life, it will have been her choice. She's not, she's not going to end up somewhere simply because that's all she knew. She will end up on whatever it is that she chooses for herself. And I think going along with that, part of what is is great about this is I think it's instilled in Penny, first of all, a sense of confidence of, um, you know, seeing that different situations can work and that you can, that like there isn't one mold, that she can be who she is and that that's awesome, that she's going to be loved and continue forward and that um, whatever path she chooses is is going to be accepted amongst her family. And I also just think that it's filled her with compassion for a lot of different types of people, that she's very tender and aware of kids in her class and at school that she tries to reach out to and that she tries to show love and support for. And I, I think that's really what I, I hope she gets out of all of this is, is to love other people and to love herself. I love that. Steve, why don't you want Penny to leave the church? Um, I would be perfectly fine if she chooses to do that down the road, and I would definitely be there to help her navigate that because it can be a difficult thing. But I just want Penny to do what she feels is right for her. And um, there are going to be good things that come into her life through, so many good things that come into her life through her activity in the church. And there are going to be some challenges that come too, I'm sure. And I, um, I just, it, it's clear to me that she chooses this be, not because her mom is making her by any means. It's clear to me that she enjoys it. And it's funny that Penny is very much me at that age. She reminds me so much of starting about age six, six through 10. She is just on um, so much the way I was at ages six through 10, because I was super into the church and I loved, I just thrived on it at that age. And she's very much the same. And so I support her in that. It's clear to me, if I felt like she was in the church because her mom was making her do it, I would, I would step in and there would be a conversation about that. With, with Jessica, not yeah. with Penny, but with Jessica. Um, and eventually with Penny, but, but I, I just, I'm, I'm confident that right now it's a good thing for Penny and that's why she's choosing it for herself and I absolutely support that. That's a good answer and I, I love the church and I recognize people that leave. Um, some have not had the same experience that I'm having in the church and um, so I just, I like the way you're navigating mm -hmm. that and Penny, do you, I mean, Jessica, do you worry that um, Steve at some point is going to try to pull your daughter out of the church? Um, I'm not worried about that. I mean, like Steve said, it's it's Penny's decision, and I also full-heartedly believe that she will choose the path that's right for her and what feels right. And if she does leave the church, then that will not affect how I feel about her or our relationship. That's just something that, you know, I've been very aware of, that it could, it could very well happen. And... Um, I just want her to choose a path that makes her happy and brings her joy. And I mean, at this point, like Steve said, she's she loves being there and she enjoys it. And so I know that's how I feel as well. And of course, that's kind of, you know, what you hope for your kids is I'm happy here. I hope they're happy here. But if they're not, then I hope she chooses what makes her happy. 
I worried for a time about the problems it might cause, particularly for you, Jessica, if Penny ever chose to leave the church. Um, I worry about that less and less as time goes on, which is interesting because if that is going to happen, it will be you know probably in her. I don't know. I shouldn't speculate on that, but <laughs> I guess my point is, the older she gets, um, the more likely that possibility is. But it's just—it's not something I feel the need to worry about. Nope. I we have navigated so many potentially difficult, you know, truly difficult scenarios and potentially confrontational scenarios, and we've managed to do it just fine. I have no doubt that if Penny chose a different life for herself, that that, that Jessica would not. So here's here, fit about it, so to speak. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing about our situation as well, Richard, is that um, my children um, have chosen not to be baptized. So my children are 11 and 13 and, and are not baptized. Whereas Penny, at age eight, she chose to to be baptized. Um, and so we've kind of <laughs> we we kind of are navigating this situation currently. Yep. Um, and 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 so it, it has been interesting, and and kind of our our approach to this is we have to allow them their agency, and um, I I try I try not to pressure, or I hope that they don't feel that pressure of dad's dad's disappointed in me because I didn't get baptized. I. I um, I try to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, it's interesting that Matt, that you haven't baptized either of your own children, but you have baptized mine. Matt, Matt did Penny's <laughs> baptism. Yeah. Did, how did you feel about that? Did you go to that baptism, Steve? I, I went to the baptism. It was really important for me to be there to show my support for Penny. Did you participate in any way? I um, I spoke after the baptism. You know, when the whole family's together and. Um, it's actually quite an interesting scenario because at the time I was in a serious relationship and his entire, he and his entire family came <laughs> as well as my entire family and they were, you know, it was very much worlds colliding, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, which stressed me out immensely <laughs> leading up to that, but. I thought it was really cool. Um, the decision of our bishop, um, for allowing Steve to take time uh, after after Penny was baptized to to say some words, I thought that was really cool. And I thought it was nice that you asked Steve that yeah, it would yeah. be because you asked me, "Will this be okay? Is this appropriate?" And yeah. so I think there was just a lot of respect shown in that yeah. on that day. It was interesting to me, and I'm. The, when I did get up to speak, I had like five or ten minute message prepared, which was, but anyway, most of it when I got up to speak, I just kind of thought, you know, everything I want to convey here is directed to Penny, and I feel like she and I, I, di I didn't end up giving my prepared message. I, I kind of cut to the chase and I shared a couple of of basic thoughts and ended it and just thought, most of what I had planned to share with Penny, I can share with her directly, and I don't necessarily need to do it in front of everyone here that may or may not take it as I'm intending it to be. And <laughs> I just, in the moment, decided I, I'm going to keep this short and I'll convey my message to Penny independently. But, but I very much appreciated the fact that I was that you guys were supportive of me, of 
being involved in the way that I was. And and Matt, we had an interesting conversation right before the baptism. It was right after. Was it right after? Yeah, right after right after um, the ordinance of baptism was performed. Um, I, I was, swear it was before. I was cha- <laughs> I was changing in in the men's room, and and Steve came in just as after I was to done. use the restroom. Yeah, just after I was done changing, and um, we had we had a really cool um, conversation in there, and and hugged, and um, basically it was yeah it was just a mutual agreement of we're so blessed to have each other in each other's lives, and I was really grateful to you, Matt, for baptizing Penny. She wanted that to happen, and I was grateful that there was someone in her life that could do that for her, because I couldn't. And I didn't want some stranger or some, you know, a home teacher or bishop or whatever, sure, she has a relationship with them, but I, I was glad that there was someone she's close with and loves that could, that could do that for her. Right. And I'm crying again. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, life, we have these dreams when we're 14 and Maya maids and teachers quorum and priest quorum and laurels. I guess we don't call them laurels anymore. And for so many of us that are Latter-day Saints, the reality of our lives don't match those hopes early on in our lives. And we then have to sort of navigate and hopefully we develop tools younger, like you mentioned in the ninth grade, I think, um, Jessica, about... It's not. It's about what now, and yeah. and what you've done, and so I think parents listening and leaders listening, we have to develop these kind of tools um, for the realities of mortality. But this baptism story is just. I love all the people working to create space there. I love the bishop. I love S- Steve. You know this church. You know, in some ways we just didn't. You know, you did everything you knew how to do, Steve, and. It didn't work out, and I'm not going to make you the villain. Um, I'm Jessica and Matt haven't made you the villain. I'm certainly not going to make you the villain. I'm just going to recognize you're doing the best you can, and I'm going to leave it at the Savior's feet. But I love, since we're not making you the villain and we're not putting the end of the world on your shoulders, I'm being dramatic now, um, then I think we keep you better in the family circle. And then you come to the baptism, and then a bishop invites you to speak, and you feel a part of that, and it's not probably what you thought would be happening when you were a 14 year old teacher that you're, you know, this other man would be baptizing your own child, but here you are, you're there, you showed up and what that means for your daughter. And that makes me yeah. happy. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just think there's, I think your daughter's um, better off in some ways with, yeah, there's probably been some days that have been hard for her, but I think this experience gives her added tools and is part of the beautiful life she'll have. How, um, we're, I'm trying to do these in an hour, but I never succeed. So sorry, listeners. That was my, one of my resolutions that, but how do you as active Latter-day Saints, Jessica and Matt, um, you know, Steve's hope is to find a partner. Um, and that hope obviously is outside of the teachings of our church. So how do you just, how do you navigate somebody's hope being different than what we teach? Um, do you not hope, do you hope his hope doesn't come true? Or do you just hope his hope comes true and just, I'm not going to sort of judge his hope. And I'm just, and I'm not going to 
do things to to keep his hope from happening? Any just thoughts? Because parents sometimes are navigating that space of just, you know, how to manage that space when someone feels their path is different than the main teachings of the church. His hope is his hope and my hope is mine, right? Um, it's, but I still have to, I'm, I'm commanded to love. Um, but I can't, I can't ever control anybody, anybody's own hope. And for me, I just want Steve to be happy and content. And I know that when Steve is happy, content, he shows up in my life, in Penny's life, in his life, the best person he can be. So whatever that looks like for him, as long as it is not damaging to my daughter, and I don't believe this in any way is damaging to my daughter, then I support that. And I will welcome that. Um, He's had a couple of great guys in his life, and I've seen the love they've shown to my daughter. And I feel like, you know, she can't be loved by enough people. The more people that love her and support her, the better. And I know that Steve is very careful of who he brings into her life and who, you know, who she's around. And so I, I just don't worry about that as being an issue. I see it as an opportunity for Steve to be content and happy. And that's when he's content and happy, that's how we show up best in our lives is, is when we follow those desires. I love those answers. Um, you didn't sell out our doctrine to give those answers. And I think that's a space that a lot of active LDS people are trying to navigate that. And I love your answers. Um, another question comes to mind. Both of you've just come out of young women's presidency, Jessica and Matt, you're the elders corn president. How has this experience helped you to better minister to people in your circle? Cause I'm assuming a lot of your circle knows all of this going on and are seeing how you're firsthand navigating that. And I assume that kind of signals at times, um, that you're pretty safe to, to talk to about complicated stuff. Do either of you want to, let's start with Jessica. Any thoughts on how this helped you be a better, um, or reach some young women in your, in your church calling? This is honestly one of my favorite things that has come out of all of this. And actually I have lots of favorite things that have come out of all of this, <laughs> but I love that people feel safe telling me things. And they also know that I am not going to tell anybody that I am a safe place I'm going to love them still and that they can talk to me. And one of the things that um, I did have a young woman that a young woman that came out during uh, this time and who stopped coming to church and I was able to show up at her house and tell her, listen, I don't care what's going on. If you want to be with us, come to church, come to activities. We love having you. You make our ward so much better. Like she just was so fun and everybody loved her and I just wanted her to be there. And if she felt happy and comfortable there, that's that's where I wanted to her to be. And I knew she felt that, that I meant it because she knew of my experiences and what I'd been through. And um, I really, at that moment, just really felt, you know, like this is a blessing to be able to share these things and to be able to have people understand that I genuinely love you, uh, even if you're making decisions that are different than mine. And I think that is awesome. And then just friends that have been able to share with me their struggles and their experiences because they know I'm willing to listen and that I won't judge those where they're at. I won't judge their experiences, that 
that's where they are and who they are and and that's okay matt yeah and i've kind, i've kind of had the the same experience where i've i've you know just i've been in the elders as the elders quorum president for about two months but in those two months i've, I've had one of my quorum members just come out flat and tell me that hey didn't don't know if you you knew this but i'm gay and um i don't i don't act on on the gay lifestyle and i've been rebaptized and and all of that it's it's just been with us being open about our and vulnerable about our situation it's created a safe place for people to come and just pour out what their struggles are and knowing that they have somebody there who can understand and who can say you know what i know you're struggling with that but we still love you that has been huge and it's yeah it's been awesome to watch because i can see it in this particular man's eyes that he truly um loves the gospel and he wants to be part of it so richard i think just in general when someone knows that you have gone through hard things they are comfortable coming to you with their, the hard things they're going through. And I think it's a, a fault in so many of us that we feel like we need to keep our the, our the things that we have been challenged by to ourselves and put on this facade of having a perfect life and a perfect, happy exterior when there's no need for that. There's so much good to be had by being open and saying, this is what I have struggled with. This is what I have been through. This is how I have succeeded. This is how I failed. This is how it's mm-hmm. helped me to get to where I am today. And to then be able to give and receive mutual support from other people who can relate to that and who then come forward and share their struggles and their challenges with you. And So it has been interesting in my, in my experiences because they did, <laughs> uh, the church has, uh, mixed together the high priest group and the elders quorum as of recent. And so we have a lot of older gentlemen over the age of 80, right, in our elders quorum now. And with the young generation and the older generation being combined together, um, and there has been, in fact, just last week when I was giving the elders quorum lesson, there was several times where some of the, uh, the older generation had to have I had to like check what I was saying again. Like, wait, can you say that again? Like, did I hear what you just said? Like, you, you, you have a relationship with your wife's ex-husband who is gay. Like, um, and but it, it's opened up this conversation that that's beautiful, and that shows that. Whoa! I didn't even realize that this was a thing. You've been blowing some minds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really good comments, and I, I love the impre- the inspiration that your bishop, um, your leaders, I guess an elders quorum president's called from a stake president. I love that your bishop, whoever called you to be young women's president, and your stake president Matt called you to be elders quorum president, um, called you as the right people instead of just the perfect family story to be the role model family. I mean. Sometimes those families can be the right person to be called, but I love the fact that you weren't ruled out because you've both been through a divorce. And um, I think the lessons I call the wounded healer is a consistent theme on this podcast is 
the wounded healer can authentically lead other people out of the desert because he's been there or she's been there. And so we're all wounded. That's part of mortality. And I think if we can use those lessons and the woundedness that we feel to give hope on other people and be safe and to talk to. So I love that your leaders called you to and being through divorce wasn't a deal breaker in there. Um, so that they took that, they asked the Lord. Um, I think you were both called of God from inspired priesthood leaders. Um, we are at the end. We're at the hour and 20 minute mark, 80 minute mark. Um, any, I'll go Steve, Matt, and then Jessica. Any last thoughts either any of you want to share? Let's go Steve first. Um, I just want to say, Richard, that I so appreciate your platform. I don't know why this is making me emotional to say this, but we're giving giving a space for LGBT voices to be heard. Um, there's so much to be gained from increased understanding of someone else's perspective. And you offering that to particularly a Mormon group of listeners is, I just, I thank you for that. It's awesome for us, us LGBT people to have a, a place for our voices to be, to be heard and understood. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. It's my honor. I, I, I guess, I mean, my last thoughts are, you know, <laughs> one of the, one of the, the greatest gifts that Jessica, Steve, and myself have had out of starting our own podcast with the three of us is communication and building up this relationship and making it even stronger between the three of us. And that's been absolutely amazing to experience and to um, know that relationships matter and that it's this, this life is a journey and it's an adventure and it's a great adventure. And I don't know that I have anything else to say. I think the gentlemen have covered it. <laughs> I feel very much the same. I'm grateful for this platform that you've created and for the things that you're putting out there and doing. And just for, I mean, as, as somebody who is involved in the LBGT community and that feels this draw to them and this love, it's so great to have examples of people who are also feeling that drive. And so I appreciate that from the from the LDS side of things that there are other people who feel the same as me and that who are open to this side of things and, and understanding it. And so I, I love that you're creating, creating the bridge. Well, thank you. You're all very kind of it. Um, my guests are the real heroes that are brave to come and share their stories so we can all listen, learn and love better. And um, yeah. Jessica, will you tell us just one more time, the name of the podcast so that people can find your podcast and this longer version of your story. So the name of our podcast is Husband-in-Law, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, best wishes <laughs> to you, Steve, as you're moving forward in your life. We're glad you're alive. Love what you're doing. Matt and Jessica, you have a beautiful marriage, and this is just a beautiful story of the family circle staying together. And thank you for joining us, our guests, and thank you, our listeners, um, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.